right. All right. Well, we're going to, um, as I said, uh, we're just kind of hopping around in the pastoral epistles. And uh, what I landed on for this evening is uh, in 2 Timothy chapter 2. And it's one of my favorite passages. In fact, um, Paul even says, after he, uh, we'll, we'll read the passage, but he says, Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. This has been a passage that I've thought over quite a bit and regularly come back to. I think it holds some deep wisdom for us as we, uh, as we seek to be, live out faithfully what God's called us to do. So, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. We'll just start in verse 1, but the, the real passage that we're going to spend some time in is uh, 3 through 7. So, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Pray that you open your word to us tonight. Thank you for your goodness, Lord, for the sweetness of your presence and for the, uh, just the, refreshing, uh, the, the refreshment that comes from your word, God. I pray that you would uh, speak to us clearly, that you would quicken us, that you would um, exhort us uh, with, these, with these words tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so... Uh, Paul gives Timothy, uh, by the way, 2 Timothy is the, um, really kind of the last testament of Paul. He's nearing the end. It's probably the last thing that he wrote. And so it's a, it's a special letter. Um, and everybody's, everybody understands that when somebody gets closer to the end of their life, this perspective comes over them, right? They start distilling down, what, what is it that I want to that I really want to say. Words take on an added weight. You know, if you've ever had a, if you've ever had a, a grandparent or someone who was older in your life that you, that you talk to in their last days, there's just this sense of the end. And especially if it's, if it's someone who's a believer and is, is kind of ready to go, there's this real sense of clarity about their life. And I hope that, I hope that you all can have that experience at some point in your lives, to, to, to sit down with someone with a saint who's facing close to the end, you know, because they, they, I think really think that that's a, a, those words are so precious and those interactions are so precious. Um, but here's, here's Paul. I mean, he knows that he's getting close to the end and he's using a lot of past tense with Timothy. He says, you know, I, I have fought the good fight. I have run the race. Therefore is laid up for me a crown of righteousness so the sense of completion, the sense of finality has, has settled over Paul. He's not the 
early Paul who was go, 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 go. I've got to get to Ephesus before Christmas. Hey, bring those cloaks because I left so fast that I left them at Troas and those parchments. You know, he is settling in and, and ready, to, ready to depart and be with the Lord. And so he's equipping his true child in the faith, Timothy, with, I think, some distilled wisdom for Timothy to carry on the work that God had called him to do. And um, one thing you always got to be careful with when reading the pastoral epistles is not, to, is not to imagine yourself being spoken to by Paul directly, right? We, what we have is a window into an apostle teaching his protege how to carry on this apostolic work, okay? Not all of us are involved in apostolic work. I don't know if anyone in here is involved in apostolic work. Um, And so what we get is a window into the way that the church runs, but we don't get a direct kind of one-to-one application. You know, like I don't think that everyone in this room should go around and evaluate whether someone's qualified to be an elder, you know, and rebuke them if if they're not uh, and remove them from leadership. Like that was that was the work of an apostle. All right. Um, However, everything that he describes in here is work that happens in the community. So we got to be careful to, to take the right angle. And I say that because here in chapter 1, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace, or in verse 1 and 2, he says, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be, who will be able to teach others also. Right, that was Paul's charge to Timothy. You've got to find faithful men. You've got to, you've got to really, Timothy... You need to find the men who are going to lay down their lives for the body. Put them in place. And make sure they understand the essentials. They understand the gospel, that they're sold out for the gospel, and that their life proves it. That they are full of self-sacrifice, that their homes are places of peace, that their wives are um, joining them in this pouring out as a family, that their children understand obedience, and those sorts of things. Um, But I've seen this, you know, I've seen this particular verse used in those kinds of charts, those discipleship charts, that you can disciple. If you can disciple two people, and then they can disciple eight people, and there's like this exponential growth. And you will be responsible for the discipleship of, you know, all these hundreds of disciples on down the line. It's like sort of this multi-level marketing... uh, (laughs) You're like, hold on, this is, I don't think this is how it's supposed to go. So it's not that we as individuals are supposed to go out and find someone who will be able to teach someone who will be able to teach someone, and that's the, the measure of our, uh, of our Christian service. Um, that is the work of the church. And we need to involve ourselves in that work, and that looks a little different from, for, for each person. There, there will be some who oversee that work, Right? Uh, there will be some who do not oversee that work, but who pray towards that work, who, who serve and, and offer other means by which to support that work. So um, that's the work of a church. It's not the work of a bunch of individuals who need to go out and be responsible for, you know, their Amway flowchart of multitudes of disciples, right? So you can, the pressure's off there. But, but, these three metaphors, I think, can be applied 
And this is really what I want to say tonight. These three metaphors can be applied to whatever your calling is, whatever your place is, whatever your gift is, whatever your ministry is, these three metaphors can and should apply. Paul was applying them to Timothy, not because they were unique metaphors to an apostolic worker. He was telling Timothy, listen, this is the way life in the kingdom goes. This is the manner of life that we need to have. And he gives him three metaphors. And so I want to look at these three metaphors and I want to look at how they might apply to us. So for Timothy, Paul is, is reinforcing the work that he's calling him to do. A lot of it had to do with, number one, guarding the purity of the gospel, not letting heresies creep in, not letting uh, Judaizers or anybody, any of these false teachers who were gaining profit off of weak-willed women. Uh, guard the purity of the gospel. It's about Jesus. It's not Jesus plus anything else. It is about Jesus, and it has to remain about Jesus with the aim of love. And if the aim becomes anything else, Timothy, you've got to rebuke that and, and, and get rid of it for all time. There, there, there is one gospel, and it will be the gospel till Jesus comes back. And so that work was Timothy's work. That was, he, he was, there was a gifting of laying out of hands that was, that was spoken over him, and he was sent out to do the work by the community of faith. And so Paul says, here's how you need to approach this work. And I want us to, to hear what he says and really get into the metaphors. Why would he pick these? Paul himself says, think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in these things. Think over what I say. I mean, turn it around. Apply this. Look at this from a bunch of different angles. All right. So the first one is soldier. He says, no soldier gets entangled. Or First of all, he says, share in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Timothy, as you approach this work of establishing leadership, guarding the purity of the doctrine, and laying the foundations for local communities of faith, you've got to be ready to suffer. You need to be ready to suffer. Like a soldier. A soldier doesn't go looking for suffering, right? But a soldier understands that suffering is par for the course, given his mission. That suffering, pain, death, dismemberment <laughs> may accompany the task. And so he's urging Timothy, as you approach your task, Timothy... As you approach your task, you need to approach it with, like a soldier who has gone off into the army. A soldier knows what he's gotten himself into. A soldier's not surprised at hardship. A soldier's not surprised at opposition, at pain, suffering, danger. A soldier assumes those are going to come at some point and is ready for that. And so there's a willingness to suffer, an acceptance of the risk that goes with being a soldier, the potential of harm, almost 
almost guaranteed hardship, doing without certain creature comforts, streamlining to the essentials. I don't know if you've ever seen like military mess hall. Uh, it's just like, you know, you compare that with, you know, a night out at Tony's and you get the, the difference, right? There's opulence and excess and the best, and there is the essentials and efficiency and get them in, get them out, get on the road and keep moving. Soldiers don't expect an easy road. And they don't get confused when hardship comes. In fact, they, they go away to training to basically break themselves of these needs for creature comforts. Hey, anything that you need, that, you're, that your flesh needs, you need to break yourself of it because it's going to get in the way of you and your mission. So there's a willingness to suffer, but there's also, it says in the next verse, it says, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. So in addition to a willingness to suffer, a soldier has a, um, a singular focus and a disciplined focus to his life. It doesn't say you can't do anything that a civilian does. That's not true for a soldier, right? However, everything that a soldier does is in context of, some, of this much larger mission, much larger, larger set of orders. If he's spending time with family, it's for this amount of time, and then it ends, and it, right? There's, there's very uh, quantified allotments of time to do all these things that a civilian might do. And so it's not, you, you never do a thing, a soldier never does things that civilians do. No, you have to be a part of the world. You're a human being after, work, after all. But the entanglement, right? A soldier never does something that's going to entangle his life to the point where he can't instantly go and get back on mission. So soldiers are not completely withdrawn from life and cut off from life, but there is a definite purpose to their life that is different than that of just an everyday citizen. There's a different allegiance that they carry, and it looms over everything that they do, right? A soldier who's in active duty, you just know. They're never quite fully there with you. Because they belong to something else, something bigger. And there's this, this constant awareness. Yeah, this is, they're on, they're on duty. They're active duty right now. And this time we have is, is limited with them. And so a soldier has disciplined himself to deny anything that threatens his readiness for the mission. And then he talks about an athlete. And it's interesting when he talks about the athlete because he doesn't talk about training or discipline. He, he does mention those things, and, and the, the athlete metaphor is used uh, throughout the New Testament 
running the race with endurance, you know, in Hebrews. Uh, but here he mentions one interesting thing about athletic competition, and that is that an athlete has to compete according to the rules. The other thing is an interesting aspect of, of an athlete to bring out. So it's not the preparation of the athlete, but the performance of the athlete in the whatever event, uh, that in order to, to be victorious in that event, that event has to be conducted according to certain rules. And so um, you cannot expect to, you know, we have basketball, we live in Lexington, Kentucky, basketball season is getting ramped up. There's no such thing as the National Basketball Association with nine-foot goals, right? I mean, the regulation is 10 feet. And if it's not 10 feet, it's not the National Basketball Association. You will never win the NBA Finals. In fact, you'll never play on an NBA team if all you know is nine-foot goals. Now, you could be the greatest shooter of all time on a nine-foot goal, and that means nothing, right? Until it's 10 feet, it's not... Regulation basketball. And so that's an, interesting, that's an interesting metaphor to give to Timothy. What's he saying? What is he saying through that metaphor? He's not really talking about the discipline and training side. He's talking about, I think, the temptation to, to cut certain corners. To... Um, to lower the standard due to some sort of pressure or some sort of motive. I think, I think in, in terms of um, King Saul, you know, he wanted to compete, but he just kept bending the rules. He kept bending it. He, he wouldn't obey all the way. There was always some reason that he had to fudge here or there. There's always some pressure that caused him to buckle and go, well, I just, we'll do it this way this time, you know. And Samuel would always come on the spot right when he did it, you know. Hey, Saul, what are you doing? (laughs) But an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. I think that Paul understands that Timothy is going to be surrounded by internal reasons to want to cut corners, external pressures trying to get him to cut corners, right? Paul, come on. I mean, he's, he's not, it's not like he's getting drunk every night. He just got drunk once, you know? Um, come on, Paul. You know, let us what, what, work with us here. These are impossible standards for leadership, you know? You want nobody to, to lead the house of God? What's going on? An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Paul, we, Paul, come on. Look at the culture. Look at the world around you. you know. Um, do you expect men and women to behave like this? This is the, this is the, this, uh, these are the 70s, Paul. This is the 60s. We're in the 60s, man. Peace. The world has changed. The world is advancing. And, and all these roles that you're trying to assign to people, uh, 
I mean, that can't be. We're just, we just need to love each other. And it doesn't really matter how that expresses itself as long as it's love. You know, love is love. Love is love is love. If you notice, all through these pastoral epistles, the idea of doctrine is intimately connected with very particular actions and roles played, not just men and women, but by the people of God. Here's what it looks like. Paul says in 1 Timothy, I'm writing you these things so that you may know how you ought to behave in the household of God. This is what a man is. This is what a woman is. This is how you decide whether a widow should get funds or not. That's a really interesting passage, by the way. Some really deep stuff in uh, chapter 6 in, in First Timothy, or 5, maybe. But there are standards. There are principles. There are values. I think the best word to say is values. And when values get circumvented for the sake of efficiency, for the sake of cultural relevance, for the sake of fill in the blank, it's not that we're not performing well, it's just that we're not even playing the right game. Right? You could measure performance, but the goal is nine feet. This isn't basketball. This isn't the house of God. This is some sort of human institution that's masquerading as the house of God. According to the rules. It means we don't live in just total independent freedom to do whatever our hearts tell us to do because now... We've been saved by grace. That's not how the household of God is run. Welcome to the household of God. Here's how to live. Right? You got here by grace, so none of this stuff is going to get you any more in here. You're in here fully now by grace, and here's how you live. It is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. I like that he includes a farmer. Well, maybe I don't like that he includes a farmer. Soldier, you know, it's a very manly thing. Uh, you know, there's, 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 there's a certain glory to being a soldier. Um, the idea of military glory is a very ancient one. You know, you can... You can Win yourself glory through acts of valor, you know? The few, the proud, the Marines. The army, I don't understand that one. An army of one. What does that mean? I'd like an army of as many as possible, please. Uh, an athlete too, obviously. There is an idea. There's glory attached to athletic. I mean, it's they are crowned when they compete according to the rules. But 
a farmer, you know, what does he get? His, his crops, you know, <laughs> that's the reward. But he gets them before anyone else. He has the first share of the crops. But I, I love that, that farmer is listed here because it, it cuts out from underneath that, that real strident, you know, that thing that can capture our hearts. Oh, yeah, I can, I can get, I can go watch a military movie and get really pumped up about my Christian walk, you know. And, uh, or I can, you know, I can watch an athletic, and I can feel just pumped up. But it's really hard to get pumped up to go farm. I think it's exactly the point. I think that is exactly the point that Paul is making here because he says the hardworking farmer. It's the toiling farmer. The hardworking farmer that has to do it no matter what the weather is doing, that has to do it no matter how he feels. It's just day in and day out and day in and day out. It's toilsome repetition. It's lots of hard endurance with very little visual feedback, you know, until the, until the pace really starts to pick up in the growing season. But man, so much of farming is just, hey, look at all this dirt. We got to go make it look like less compacted dirt. And we're going to spend days doing it. Weeks. Just taking this dirt that's kind of hard and making it less hard. And it's backbreaking work. <laughs> you know? Just, we got to go hit the dirt a bunch of times so that the dirt isn't so hard. I mean, can you, that's the, that's the first step. I don't know much about farming. But I think that you have to break up the dirt so you can put the seeds in. Much of the work of the kingdom. Uh, I mean, Jesus actually used this metaphor quite a bit. The agrarian, the agricultural metaphor. It's just day in and day out. Can you measure success? Can, the, can a farmer measure success? Sometimes. But not often. Is it, I mean, there's no glamour and it's just, there's always, some, there's always another thing. It's never really done. Like, you're never really done farming, you know? Checklist. Farm. I did it. I, I farmed, you know? <laughs> when you're a farmer, it's just what you are. It, I mean, it never goes away. Just year-round, 24-7. And uh, Jesus even says, you know, the kingdom is like uh, it's like a it's like a field or something. I forget what exactly what he says, but he says, you know, the farmer he goes and puts in the seeds, and he sleeps, and he wakes up, and he sleeps, and he wakes up, and he sleeps, and he wakes up, and he, and then there's a plant. He doesn't know how that got there. <laughs> he just went and did his thing. Ask a farmer now, how exactly did that plant appear? I don't know. All I knew is that I started by just hitting the dirt a bunch of times, and then I put the seed in the dirt. And then I kept the weeds up. All these things. So soldier, athlete, farmer. I really like that Paul includes farming because 
uh, there really is nothing glorious about it. Um, it's, it, it, it's profitable. You know, it, it eventually pays off. But it pays off with very pedestrian results, you know. Now we have grain that we can use to make food. This is a very basic, this is not a glorious part of life. It's a, it's a necessity, right? Toiling to meet the necessities of life. And that's it. The highest, the highest glory of a farmer is now that there are, now there's a harvest. And then you got to go out and work hard to get the harvest. <laughs> Yay, it worked. Now we got to go do it all again. So, as I said, Timothy had his own application. You know, Timothy could see each of these metaphors and, and see the work that he was called to and say, soldier, yeah. Discipline. Focus. I see it. Athlete. Competing according to the rules. I'm, I'm not, I can't, I can't play with a different set of rules and expect to succeed. Farmer, oh man. Yeah, I just need to settle in. This is a marathon, not a sprint. I, I, this is going to be a day in and day out thing. It's never going to really feel done. There's always going to be something tomorrow to do. Always another set of chores. And this is life. This is life. I just need to settle into this. But... I really feel strongly that this, is, this contains a lot of wisdom for us and probably some challenges for us, some paradigm shifts. And I think we begin with, you know, what is, what is my mission? What, what is my mission? What are my marching orders? Do I even, do I envision my walk with Jesus in that way? I think Paul would say, you know, Put this lens on and see where you are. Put this soldier lens on and look at your walk with Jesus through this lens. Am I constantly surprised at the the austere (laughs) provisions? Or do I realize, oh, I've been given exactly what I need and I'm thankful for that. Now I'm going to go... Keep doing my job. Or is it like, man, this, this blanket's kind of rough. You know, I, do they have a higher thread count around here? You know? It's the same food all the time. Are we surprised by austerity, discipline, focus? Do we resist that? Do we buck against it? Or do we realize that that is the way of a disciple of Jesus? What is the event in which I'm competing? What is the game? And what does winning mean? And most importantly, what are the rules of competition? What are the rules of this game? And am I competing according to the rules?
But you have to ask the question, what, what is the gain? Do I, approach, do I approach my walk with Jesus, my calling as a believer, as a disciple of Jesus? Do I understand that it is in some ways like a competition? That there is a need to strive. Now, we don't, obviously, I hope that we're past saying that we don't strive to earn God's love, earn God's favor. But it's, it is a battle. It is a competition. And it's also a big piece of dirt <laughs> that you just have to take care of. That's what, that's what building the kingdom is. What's my field? That's the, that's the last question. What is my field? What is the field that I cultivate? That I'm called to cultivate? And this, really one, this one really gets us back all the way to Genesis 2 type stuff. You know, He formed a garden. He placed man in the garden to work it, to keep it. What am I working and keeping? And am I working and keeping it like a farmer? Meaning, does it own me? Do I know this land inside and out? Am I given to it? Does it, do I uh, tend to it no matter how I feel? Do I tend to it no matter what the weather is? But you got to know, what is my mission? What's my marching orders? Who's, in, with the soldier one, who's my commanding officer? <laughs> who's the one who enlisted me? I think there are, se- there are several possible answers to that for us. I mean, obviously, I think it, we can answer it by saying, you know, my marching orders are to make disciples of all nations, you know, the broad call to the church. Um, Jesus is my commanding officer, you know. Uh, the event is building the kingdom of God. And the field is... The, the life that he's laid before me, the place that I'm in and the people that I'm with. That's my field. Um, I think we can get more specific. Uh, and these are all contained within the work of building the kingdom, but these might be some areas in which you really can sink your teeth into. Oh, yeah, this is, this is what I need to look at through the lens of soldier, athlete, farmer. Uh, the first one would be personal holiness and purity. Right? God saved us to purify for himself a people for his own possession who were zealous for good works. So first of all, just you as an individual. God saved you. God pulled you out of a world that was corrupt through evil desire. And he killed you and all that evil stuff with Jesus all the old man, and he raised you to live a different kind of life. That's the gospel. I mean, that's the, that's the core of all of this. And so, do you bring into your personal identity, your personal holiness, your, um, your purity of heart, as we've been talking about, your good conscience, the decisions you make, 
the thoughts that you think, do you carry with you into being a holy, devoted follower of Jesus? Do you carry a soldier's mentality into that? Meaning, do you understand that there's risk here? There are enemies here. They are deadly enemies. They don't want me to do this thing. And this is going to get hard. And I'm going to have to sacrifice some things that my flesh desires in order to fulfill this mission. That's the approach that we have to take towards personal purity. Because that's the reality of it, right? There is spiritual warfare that goes on in our lives. Sin is crouching at our door. Its desire is for us. And we have been given the ability to rule over it. That's fighting language. Right? And, and it means that there's an enemy. That's one thing of understanding that what a soldier is. It means that you understand that there is an adversary. And rather than try and carry with you all the creature comforts that you can into your barracks, right, do you allow it to do you allow everything that might cling to you as a token of your former life? Do you allow it all to be taken away from you? And have you been given only what you need to accomplish? And do you realize that? Do you own that? Are you full of gratitude and contentment with what you have because it's what you need for the mission? Or do you, like the Israelites, oh man, I've, this is great, I love being, but there's just a couple things that, you know, it's the leeks and the garlics. I just remember that. It just tasted so much better. It was just a little more fun. And it had a little more sprinkle of this and that. And I just wish that was a part of this, you know. Can we get like some Yankee candles in these barracks? It was just, it was, just to warm it up a little bit. Yeah. That's former life, right? Um, an athlete. Do I do I bring a corner cutting mentality to my to competing for the crown of righteousness, or uh, do I submit fully to God's standards? You know, do I make excuses for myself? Or do I expose myself to the light of holiness and say, judge me in that light? Because that's the actual standard, right? Standard's not other people. The standard's not cultural norms. The standard is the holiness of Jesus. Do we compete according to those rules? Or do we have a different set of rules for ourselves when we feel a certain way? Do you see, I mean, Paul, this is deep wisdom. Think over what I say, he says. The Lord will give you understanding in all things.
and a farmer. Man, the, the battle for holiness is not won in a flaming act of glory. It is toilsome. It doesn't care how you feel. And it's always there. And there's always another thing to have to do to keep your flesh in check, to keep sin at bay. Never going to end. Pull a weed. There's going to be another one there tomorrow. You got to go pull it. You just got to go pull it. And you can't get lazy. Because if you get lazy, it becomes all overgrown. That's like the sluggard in Proverbs, right? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands. Poverty comes on you like a thief. Spiritual poverty comes on you like a thief when you get complacent. When you just let, eh, that's okay. I'm going to deal with that later, you know. This little bitterness, this root of bitterness. At least I can't see anything, you know. This just kind of nagging sexual immorality that just kind of keeps fluttering around. It's just, you know, I don't think it's that, that bad. Let's just let it, let, it, let it float, you know. You can apply these three lenses to other things. Uh, faithfully loving my family. Do I understand it's a battle? Do I understand there's an enemy? Do I understand that Satan is the craftiest of all creatures and at, with Adam and Eve at their most intimate one moment, he comes with his craftiness? And he doesn't like that. He doesn't like, Satan hates families. I don't know if you have read the news ever. <laughs> but Satan hates families. Satan hates children. Satan hates the purity of children. Satan wants to take away the purity of children. Satan hates traditional marriage. Satan hates male leadership. Satan hates female submission. Because it's a glorious thing and it offends Satan. Because it, it, it shines the glory of God into the earth. <clears throat> he also hates male submission, right? But I think he uniquely hates female submission because of all the lies that float around because of that. Raising my kids, you know, that's a battle. And it has a set of rules that I shouldn't fudge. And it's toilsome. It's repetitive. It's redundant. It's the same thing over and over with no visual feedback. <laughs> there is a hope, though. You know, you will have the first share of the crops. And everybody knows that. When you've toiled over something and it begins to work and you begin to see, oh, there's nothing like that. Right? Same thing. There's a harvest. There's a harvest in all of these things if we will be faithful farmers. 
service to the church, service to the body of Christ, being a member of a local community, my own mission, am I focused? Am I given to these people? Am I looking for ways to serve? Am I, am I minimizing my life for maximum service to the people in my life? Am I cutting away, cutting out the fat of my schedule and focusing in on what God's called me to do? Am I just doing it? Just do the work, do the work, do the work, do the work. And begin to then see the, see the harvest. Sharing the gospel. That's a battle. Soldier mentality. Athlete mentality. We can't, we can't fudge. We've got to confront people with the truth of their slaves to sin. And there's one way out. There's only one way out. And that's through dying to yourself. Or do we fudge? Do we want to try and lure people into the kingdom? <laughs> Even unintentionally. Are we breaking the rules? Are we, are, we, are we lowering the goal so that they maybe can make a shot? Farmer, man. Evangelism is toilsome. It's repetitive. And a lot of times there's no, you have no idea what, what the harvest of what you just did is going to be. No idea. So, a lot of food for thought here. And I think uh, this would be good for us to chew on home groups, but even leading into the fast. I think these lenses are perfect for us to look at our lives through. Again, these are metaphors. These aren't rules. I'm not saying everyone needs to go and, you know, just adopt a whole set of military metaphors for the way that you run your home. Or wake everybody up with a bugle in the morning. You know, uh, feel free. I mean, if that's if that's what you want to do, that's that's your prerogative. But so those are some lenses to try on, and some areas of life that you could look at. I'll, let me mention the areas again because I kind of got lost a little bit. Personal holiness and purity. Faithful love to our family, to my family within the home. Service in the body of Christ. In my local church and sharing the gospel. You can look at your life. But the first question is not soldier, athlete, or farmer. The first question is, do I know that I have a mission? (laughs) Do I know what that is? Do I know what the game is and I do, do I know what my field is? And have I, have, I been, have I been sent in that way? Another way to ask that to yourself is have I actually radically responded to the gospel of Jesus? Have I, has the gospel truly transformed my life and changed the way that I live? Because when it does, you place every aspect of your life at Jesus' disposal. And what follows looks an awful lot like a strange combination of soldier, athlete, farmer. Amen.
All right, well, let's come to the table. I think this is a good this is a good call for us to examine ourselves as we come to uh, the table. Jesus didn't just not avoid suffering. He knew that he was destined to suffer. And he embraced it. And he said, unless I do this, <laughs> unless I do this, I'll be going against my Father's will. For this purpose I have come. For this hour I have come. Father, glorify your Son. That your Son may glorify you. Jesus had every opportunity when he was tempted by Satan to bend the rules. To lower the standards. To assert his Status as God incarnate in a way that circumvented the cross. And he said, no, he said, it is written. It is written. Here are the rules. And he is the faithful sower. And he sows. And he sows and he sows. Some reject him. Turn, turn away completely. Some, it takes a little bit of root. It springs up, but then it withers away. Some of the seed that the sower sows starts to grow and then it just gets choked out by thorns. And then some finds good soil. But the sower continues to sow. And he's out there, and he is still sowing. And he stands at the door, and he's still knocking. And if anyone hears his voice and opens, he will come in and dine with them. This is our Lord. On the night that he was betrayed, he took bread and he gave it to his disciples, and he said, Take and eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. And he took the cup and said, This is the cup of the new covenant In my blood, this is the forgiveness of sins. Drink from this, all of you. And he invites us to come and join him at this table. So here is our soldier. Here is our athlete. Here is our farmer. And far be it from us to go away and try and emulate this without first reading verse 1. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So let's come up to the table and be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus so that we can be sent out in his power, in the power of his might, uh, to wage the war, to fight the battle, to run the race, and to plow that dirt (laughs) and sow the seed. Amen.